And that was a turning point for me, which just made me just a cold killing machine. Welcome to Profession Session with Brody Vinson. Got my guest, Jesse Ladson here. Jesse, it's great to have you. Thanks uh, for being here. Yeah, appreciate it, Brody. Appreciate your opportunity. Absolutely. And we're actually doing this out of Jesse's office. You got the nice plant in the corner here, the nice wooden wall. Yeah, it's a nice thing. Really nice office here. You're yeah. doing a little bit of renovating right now. We Things are. are looking awesome. We are. Yeah, sorry for the miss in the office. but No, it looks great. Looks hey, great. we're a contractor. Absolutely. It should always be <laughs> renovating. So, um, so Jesse, you're in the general contracting business, um, and you have your own company, Ladson Construction. So I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about, um, I guess before we even get to that, just how you got started in the general contracting business initially, and then kind of the stages that have led up to you eventually running your own company Mm -hmm. and doing very well for yourself. Got it. Perfect. So, um, so I guess maybe we could start with, um, did you, uh, are, were you always from Jacksonville? Did you go to college here? Yeah, so I'm really a native of Northeast Florida, so mm-hmm. north of Jacksonville, real small town called Callahan. Uh, so Cal- Callahan had always been known as uh, cows and horses and dairy farms and one red light. Well, it's, it's grown since then, but yeah, from Callahan, Northeast Florida, um, high school, middle school, elementary, and then did go to University of North Florida with a building construction management degree. And then from there, had some job, artu- job opportunities, different areas, had to weigh out my options, and then ultimately moved to Orlando to jumpstart my career with an international construction manager, which essentially brought me back to Jacksonville. Gotcha. So you take a job out of Orlando where they bring you back to Jax. Gotcha. I'm actually, uh, I don't know if you knew this, I actually went to UCF in Orlando. I'm based out of Orlando now, so I'm very familiar with there. You're a knight. I'm a knight. Go Knights. Yeah. (laughs) National champions. Don't get started. I'm one of those, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, that's cool. So I, um, I'm from Jacksonville as well. I mean, same kind of general area. So it's kind of cool to hear that connection of Orlando and Jacksonville. So, um, so you graduate from UNF, you start this new job and what was that company? So the first company I was with was Turner Construction. Turner so, Construction. Yeah. Okay. So, so some people don't know, but you know, Turner is a, a massive name. Absolutely. Industry. You know, they're, they're ranked among the top three or top five CMs of the world, not even here in the U S but of the world. So I think back then, I think the annual revenue was around nine billion. Is wow, okay. what they were they were at then. So not sure where they are now with the ENR, which is the the engineer news record. Okay, but they're still up there. I mean, was with Turner for about maybe four or five years, um, and ultimately just had an op- another opportunity. That opportunity was to get back to Jacksonville after speaking with my wife. We knew mm-hmm. we didn't want to raise family in Orlando. It just, it wasn't us. Mm-hmm. And uh, our family was back home and had some opportunities. And ultimately we just decided to uh, pursue an opportunity, which led us back to Jacksonville. Now I did have to commit with that company, which is Gilbane building company, phenomenal company, friends with them till this day. And um, I was with them for about maybe another four years, Okay, three, four years with them. Did a lot of work throughout the state of Florida, Southern Georgia, and uh, work range from Duval County Public Schools, Osceola County Public Schools, fire stations, medical work, Disney work. I did it all. And ultimately, the, the corporate world just kind of just ate at me a gotcha. little bit. And, and I had to make a decision on what I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I was a general, I was a licensed contractor, just doing some side work 
on the side as some supplemental income for the family. Gotcha. Okay. And so it really made that decision a little easier. Um, yeah. It was scary. It was real scary going from a really comfortable paying job and a bright Absolutely. future to the uncertainty, to the of uncertainty of making zero. Yep. That's essentially what happened. And it, and it all riding on you, right? All riding. I remember, remember waking up in the, uh, in the house and going into my home office and having my, my daughter at the time who was maybe a year old sitting on my lap. I've got no shirt on drinking coffee and just pounding yeah. away on the keyboard. So yeah. that's, that's how it all started. That's what it looks like sometimes. Yeah. So, um, Kind of taking a step back to those those couple positions at Turner and Gil, is it Gilbane. Gilbane. Um, what did your positions at those companies look like kind of over the yeah. years? Just like a quick yeah. view. Of so, yeah, so a quick view. When I graduated college, I was a very entry-level individual. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, and I'll say this. When I started with Turner, I was not the highest caliber individual. I was a very much on the low end, and I felt that way. My confidence was not there, and I'd sit in the room with these kids that graduated from UF and um, USF and, you know, Georgia. I mean, Alabama yeah. was another one, Auburn, and I'm just this guy from Jacksonville who yeah. graduated from a, a public college. Yep. And uh, I, it was very uncomfortable, and I knew I just could not compete with these guys. So, Oh, because UNF was a public college at yeah, that time. it was. Okay, since has become a university. Correct, correct. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went through the whole public side of things when I came up. So I did. I wasn't exposed to what they were. So I, I, I felt on a lower level. Um, but starting with Turner, I was a project engineer, which is an entry-level position. Mm -hmm. um, paper pusher is what, yeah. is what we call it nowadays. <laughs> I was a paper Fancy pusher. Fancy title for a paper pusher. Paper pusher for about two years, and... I was never, ever the rock star on the team. I was always the guy that got the leftovers. And yeah. if there was a guy to get fired, it was probably going to be me. <laughs> but one thing I had that others didn't was I, I just kept working. Yep. My work ethic, I could outwork anyone. But I didn't have the knowledge or the capacity at that point. Where do you think that work ethic came from? Man, you know, I look back and, you know, my, my parents got divorced at a really young age. And so, you know, I remember waking up and parents fighting, dishes being thrown. So I was kind of exposed to just some tough stuff growing up. Just volatility just, in general. Yeah, so so it, it really it made my blood a bit thicker. Mm -hmm. And But I think what really was a turning point for me was my, my senior year of high school, maybe been junior, I had lost my brother and my grandfather. My grandfather was like my father at the time. And my older brother was such an idol. So he, he was a air – he was – Going to Ohio State University, full ride scholarship to be air traffic controller, wow. certified pilot, certified skydiver, all before eighteen. And so when he passed, it kind of, kind of just felt this weight. Yeah, on like you know, hey, you, you need to, you need to change the path you're going down, change, change, change your trajectory on life. Mm -hmm. And that was a turning point for me, which just made me just, uh, just a, just a, just kind of take just, off, just a cold killing machine. Wow. Do you think that? Part of it was he was almost like a kind of a father figure in a way. And it was, yeah. He felt you kind of felt that layer of security having, yeah, having him in place. One hundred percent. I I lost my father last year, and I can relate to that a lot. There's yep. something that just kind of snaps, and you're just like, yep. Without that, there you are the guy. Yep. So I I know yep. what that feels like yep. to an extent. Um, that that's very interesting. Yep. So you kind of you feel that change happen, and you just like. Your work ethic just kind of takes off from there. It does. And it's, you know, it didn't happen overnight. I just found myself thinking bigger. I was a bit more motivated. I was a bit more determined, mm -hmm. you know, and then, you know, fast forward from that, I went through, uh, I had some major heart issues when I was younger, you know, around 1920, shortly after that had happened. Um, had to get a pacemaker put in. I had two stages, uh, two different stages of depression. 
where I left the hospital at 100 pounds or 97 pounds. Wow. A heart rate dropped to about, I think it was 19 beats a minute. So, you know, very even lucky to be here today. So those those events that took place in that three-year time is what has built me to what I am today. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a lot of things at once. Yeah. So, so you get to Turner and you feel a little bit behind the curve at first, but you're the pretty much the hardest worker yeah. there. So I would guess that eventually that leads to you start to catch up. Yeah. The, the learning curve just happens for you a little bit quicker yep. than other people. Mm -hmm. And once you put a couple of years behind that, you start progressing up the yep. ladder a little bit. Yep. So what did that start to look like? So I, when I was with Turner, my last year there, I was on Four Seasons Resort, which, is a, which was a, about, it was over $200 million worth of work at uh, wow. Central Florida. So I had a great mentor there, a guy by the name of Brant, Brant Castellano, who's still with Turner. And I just, I watched how he delegated. I watched how he mentored. I watched how he led. And still at that time, I'm 26, maybe 20, oh, 28 years old, mm -hmm. not time frame. But I, I, I observed really very well, and I've seen how effective he was with that. So when I left, that was always in my mind. And then I went to Gilbane and had another phenomenal mentor, Eric Dodson. Um, and so when, when I watched these individuals, how they managed, how they delegated, how they dealt with pressure, mm -hmm. because as as a young whippersnapper is what I call this out of school, we think we know everything. Yeah. We don't know shit. Yeah, very true. You know, sorry. So we, we don't know. No, no. That's absolutely a lot on this podcast. <laughs> so, so, so we don't know anything. You know, we think we do. And so we had to set our egos to a side. And the more of it I seen my mentors do that and how they were able to have the hard conversations, the more I began to learn on how I need to deal with those things. Just start kind of taking mental notes. It is. And, yep. and then that's that's kind of stored away for when those potentially come up later. Yep. So that, that brings up something really interesting I wanted to kind of get into that we kind of talked about off air before, which is the delegating piece. Mm -hmm. I think you being a little further along in your career at this point and having your own company, having people working for you, you mentioned to me before that it's something that you've, you've kind of started to get experience in and it feels more like second nature to you now yeah. than it did before. I'd like to talk a little bit about that that journey of getting better at delegating and maybe the challenges that you had at first and how you eventually overcame those yep. and got better at it. Got it. When I started Lats in Construction, it was uh, in 2018. So we've been, we'll be four years in August this coming year. You know, we've been able to scale this year. We're projecting to, projecting to about 30 million this year. And that's been through mentorship and learning how to delegate given tasks within the company. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the way that I learned how to do that was um, my business coach. I do have a business coach I've had for mm -hmm. a couple years now, which is a game changer. Yeah. Um, they expose you to a lot of different ways of thinking, and they, they really they really allow you to see your potential. And hold you accountable. Hold I'm you sure. accountable, yeah. yeah. And so he had me go through an assignment, which was a task, and I had to go through three full days of a thing called only things that I can do. And I went through three days of every single task that I did. If I gotcha. went to the restroom, fix coffee, schedule yep. a meeting. And at the end of three days, I probably had 18 or 19 pages of tasks. Mm -hmm. It was it was daunting to say, wow, I'm I'm jumping in all these different areas. Like, of course I can't get anything done. Yeah. And so he said, well, when we're done, we're going to put um, hourly rates beside all these tasks. Wow. Okay. I was doing stuff that was 12 bucks an hour, mm -hmm. part-time individual. Maybe I could hire a virtual assistant to do that task. I was doing all these tasks and I wasn't even working even in the business anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm just doing this 
just just tedious tasks. Maintenance that, and upkeep. Yeah, that's it. That the owner of the company should not be doing. Right now, now granted, you know, as a, as a startup, you know, dollars and cash flow is, is an issue. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. So you have to do that for certain for so long. But at some point, you you, you got to cut the cord. Absolutely, you got to cut the cord and just get on the train and get going. So I guess a good question that comes up there is what are some of the signs that allow you to start recognizing, at least in your experience, that allowed you to start recognizing that you might be coming to that point? Mm -hmm. Maybe one sign could be what was it that tipped you off to, I think I should find a business coach and maybe it's time to do that. I'm going to date back to October of 20, October of 20. I, I took a dive to my first ever event in Nashville, Tennessee and it cost me about $2,000. Mm-hmm. And I had been burned by a business coach before. It wasn't the right fit. And gotcha. so I had a real bad taste in my mouth. And I remember the promoter of this event said, look, just come. It's going to change your life. Well, yeah, okay. They we'll, all say that. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, I went there, and it did. It wasn't even through him, but I met a, a gentleman there, Michael Burt, who is uh, Coach Burt, who a lot of people refer to him as. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I watched him speak, and I was in the front row. I was locked in, and he's been my coach and my mentor since. Awesome. And so he said some things there, you know, and it just really hit me hard. It hit me deep to the heart to say, you know, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. You know, he, he exposed me. It's what he did without speaking to me directly. Kind of allows you to take your own self-inventory in a way. Yeah, it does. And I felt like he was speaking to me to the point where I could feel maybe the whole room was looking at me, but they weren't. Yeah, yeah. Like, wow, he's talking directly to me. Wow. And so, you know, ever since then, you know, Coach Burt, he's, he's you know, full transparency. We paid him about over $150,000 since then just to wow. come through the process. Yeah. But prior to that, we were doing $3.8 million. So. Mm-hmm. What's one hundred fifty thousand going to thirty million dollars this year? Yeah, I mean, so, no brainer for it sure. It is a no brainer. So, what does that coaching look like? On um, is it typically weekly, monthly? Mm-hmm. Is it a couple times a week? So, when I, it took me a while to make that commitment. It just wasn't at that event. So, I went to maybe three or four events at his personal lodge up in Nashville, Tennessee. So, I would fly up to Nashville, and there was even a morning when I I called Coach Burt. Um, it was maybe the day before mm-hmm. and he said, Jesse, I have an hour open the next day. I said, no problem. I'm on a plane. Yeah. I flew up there for an hour and then flew back. Wow. So we had that sort of relationship mm-hmm. and sort of flexibility with each other. But then going into the following year is when I made the, the true hardcore commitment, lump sum value per year. Yep. And that was a fat dollar amount. Yeah. And at that point I was in a real private group of four other individuals or three, excuse me, that were paying the same amount of money that all wanted to, to really just take their potential to the next level. So we were going to all these cool places once a quarter. Mm-hmm. I could call him any point of the day. I could fly to Nashville any point I wanted to. So he was there for me when I needed him. So is that is that group at that point, is it other general contractors or is it kind of all different industries, but the focus is all business leadership? So great question. Um, I was the only general contractor in it. Okay, cool. We had a uh, tax individual who had seven or tax, six or seven different tax agencies. Phenomenal guy. Um, we had a window contractor who had a business of doing $200 million. Wow. So, you know, we it was pretty cool to kind of watch him on what his plan was, but yeah. we'd sit in these, these private intimate settings to say, well, how are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. And so we were able to learn a lot through like that. We, uh, we had a guy who had also sold all these franchises and just had just tens of millions of dollars that he didn't know what to do with. Wow. Okay. And then we had a guy in the solar industry. Very cool. Yeah. So you get experience from a lot of other industries yep. and maybe, 
maybe some takeaways of things that you might not have even thought of probably yep. that yep. kind of transfer to what you're doing. Yep. So, um, so now that you are kind of committed, you've made the commitment and you're, you're getting that coaching. What does that look like? Is that kind of flying up to see him a certain amount of times? Yeah. So, so I put a lot of legwork into the coaching last year to really build a foundation. So I, I've been implementing a lot of that probably the past nine to 10 months, if I had to say. So I still like I'm feel I still, like I still feel like I'm implementing the things that I've learned, but there's maintenance that goes with that. So, um, I see him next week in Seaside. I'm there for three days. Okay. And, you know, when it comes to the coach, he he coaches me in different aspects in life. Mm-hmm. Next week is a couple's retreat. My wife is going nice. with me. So he's, you know, his wife lives with what she calls a monster. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and a monster <laughs> is someone who just has a crazy obsession with doing some crazy things in life. Yep. Well, my wife wants to see, well, how is, how is he living with a monster? I live with a monster. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we're going to be there for the next three days, uh, the 28th of next week. And then ultimately you've got couples that are in the same type of situation as we are mm-hmm. that are trying to learn how, how, do we, how do we really bounce off of each other? How do we, how do we both get into an alignment with each other? So, so it's, uh, when you're meeting with them, it's like focusing on a specific area of your life and yeah. really just drilling deep into that, yep. figuring out what are the challenges, how do we overcome yep. them? that kind yep. of thing, creating yep. a plan. Yep. Uh, w- one example of that, um, I'll date back to West Palm, October last year. The, sh- the strategy and topic there was how to build your can't wait wealth strategy. So what are we doing today to build our wealth strategy? Okay. And it really can't wait. So is it through real estate? Is it crypto? Is it stocks and bonds? What is it? So it's cool because we sat around this room as like a little mastermind mm-hmm. and we're hearing what everyone's doing today on their wealth strategy. Gotcha. And so since then, we've been able to create a very comfortable amount of passive income just just from that meeting. That's awesome. Yeah. What was the the first step from that meeting? Like once you came out of that whole thing, what was your first kind of action step for that? <laughs> I did a refi on my house. Wow. Okay. I did a cash out refi on my house, and we and we pulled out about. I think we pulled out about ninety thousand dollars worth of equity. Wow. I think, okay. Having a bad time, we had close to $300,000 in equity on that house. We pulled out a little bit and just started buying property. Very cool. Yeah. Okay. So just diversifying within yep. the real estate yep. that you already Yeah. And we, and, and we already had some crypto. We already got stocks and bonds. We've already got retirement. We, um, you know, now we're looking at new property for light industrial use. So we're, it opened us up to what we should be doing because gotcha. if we're just dependent on our job, our job is our job. Our job is to support where we're headed and our job is to support the legacy that I want to leave behind. Absolutely. And I can't retire just based on one company. Yeah, I mean, they say that the average billionaire has at least seven streams of passive yep. income at all times. Yep. That's so true. That's it's so true. definitely important. Yep. What what has getting deeper into the real estate passive income territory looked like for you? What are some of the challenges there? The challenges, I would just say, where the market is right now. Yeah, things are things are so outrageously high. Absolutely. But then people, people are, all, you are only going to get what it's worth, right? It's only going to, you're only going to get what someone thinks it's worth, mm-hmm. is what I should say. You know, an example, we're dealing with a client right now who bought a old furniture store. He bought it for $2.4 million. It was appraised at 1.7. He says, look, wow. I, I paid for what I felt like it was worth. Yeah. And that's the market we're in. Exactly. You know, when we, when we bought our first real estate property, it was down in Bellano Beach. Um, we spent uh, $450,000 for the house, put another hundred into it. Um, a week later, neighbor puts her house up for sale, for, for sale at 1.3. So we knew we were always sitting on a shit ton of equity yeah. on this house, but we're going to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. Just, just let it ride, you know, but 
by the time we turn around and sell it, we got to buy something else. Yeah. But you know, the, the, the strangest thing for me about uh, commercial real estate, and I'm still completely new to it cause I don't do that full time. So this is it, all commercial real estate for the most part. Uh, yeah. For the most part, that's where we're getting, that's what we're getting in more to. Uh, the example I just gave you was our first Airbnb property. Okay. Cool. Which, which creates right now, I would say a monthly passive income of about $15,000. So I have a quick question on that. Cause this is something I've always wondered. It's something I foresee myself potentially getting into at some point is the yeah. Airbnb rental. Mm -hmm. What does that look like on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis? Do you have someone managing, like kind of going in and cleaning up yep. each time and they just mm -hmm. get maybe a flat rate for yep. cleaning each time? So that's what it is. So, so for this particular house, um, we have a property manager, which I believe is, my, my wife knows this, it's either 20 or 25% of the net fee. Okay. Um, yeah, of the net profit we have, and it's gotcha. a twenty five percent fee on top of that. So they take that off the bottom line, and then after every time someone goes into the house, there is a cleaning fee. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So does does Airbnb help facilitate that, or is that something you kind of set up on your own? That is all through property management. So we are okay. completely hands off. We, That's amazing. We don't get phone calls. We get, so so really the only. I would say the only uh, involvement we have is when we got to buy new furniture, right? Do something to the house itself to bring it up. That would be the only involvement that we have. And they're in there in the trenches on a day to day basis, yep. so they're just going to let you know when they yep. need to if something needs to That's happen. That's it. If there's a uh, so since it is on the beach, if there's a, a crazy storm and a flood, they'll call us say, "Hey, such and such is damaged. We need some new chairs." Then we'll just go buy new chairs. That's awesome. I yep. mean, that's that's very much fuel to at least for me and anyone listening. I mean. Something I've considered, but I'm kind of thinking, oh, well, do I have the time to devote to yeah. property management? Yeah. And if you, if it's really just a matter of having the capital to invest yep. in the first place and yep. then 25% goes to them, yep. kind of a no-brainer when you think there, about it. There is. I would say the, the biggest cost we had up front on the Airbnb was obviously the property, but then we had to furnish the house. Right. We had to furnish the house. There was decor. There was uh, utensils. You know, there was probably eight or $10,000 there that we just had to come straight out of our pocket. What would you say the timeline looked like for recouping that initial, well, maybe not the property investment. That's going to be a longer yeah. time, obviously, but maybe the um, specifically the furnishing. It's it's going to depend on how much you put into it and where the location is. Right. So on average, we get about 450 bucks a night mm -hmm. on average. That's pretty good. Yeah. It is for this house here. And it's in a very high demand area. I think we only had two free nights this month. Wow. Okay. It's a Monday and a Tuesday. And I wouldn't be surprised if it gets booked. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So so we've already recouped that and mm -hmm. some. That's so, amazing. So now we're 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 paying we're putting it all toward a mortgage and ultimately we're gonna build that account to just go purchase something else. So um on a kind of another note adjacent to that, what portion of your week would you say, um, and this can kind of apply to everything that you have going. Mm -hmm. What percentage of your your kind of work week would you say you devote to the property, not the property management, but the the managing the properties that you do have, looking for new ones, kind of yep. fielding questions about that? So I don't spend a lot of time on it because I utilize the network that I'm in. Gotcha. So being in the contracting space, we do a lot with brokers. I've got, mm -hmm. a, I got a lot of friends and a lot of pals in the industry. And if it makes sense for them to find a property and we just partner on the deal together, then I don't. I can keep my time where it needs to be spent, and he's the expert in the field, or she's the expert in the field. Let them find the property, work the deal, and ultimately we can just work work on the capital and the offer on the back end. That makes a lot of sense. So max yeah. maybe a couple hours a week is what I spend. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And then um, on the same note, what percentage? So you you mentioned you've got obviously Ladson Construction, and yeah. then you have a roofing company as well, separate company, yes. right? Yep. 
Uh, between the two of those, what would you say the percentage of your week looks like for that? So it's a little abnormal. Okay. And, I, I'm gonna, and I'll, I'll share this. So the partner I have on the roofing side, so I have a partner in Ladson. The partner I have uh, with the, the Advocate Roofing Restoration Company is phenomenal. Um, I think I got extremely lucky with, with Brian. And so it's probably eight to 10 hours a week is what I spend wow. on, on that company. Maybe. Yeah. So, so I handled the financials, the legal, the, you know, the, the trajectory of where it's mm-hmm. headed in any risk. He's all operations, sales, training. So gotcha. Brian is in the weeds every single day. So again, gotcha. a little abnormal, but I, you know, I'm extremely sure. blessed and fortunate for Brian. Um, awesome. and ultimately, you know, that's what partners are. Yeah. So. So on the note of partners, what were, and you mentioned that you, you feel like you got lucky, but I, mean, I, I feel like you probably can't attribute it completely to luck. What were some of the signs that told you he might be a good partner and someone to go into business with? So, so Brian is someone I've known for a really long time. Uh, I know his family. Uh, his wife through marriage is actually a cousin of ours. It's kind of a small world. But Brian and I went to high school together. Okay. Um, Brian used to be a, a, a physical education teacher up here in Yulee, Florida. And he we were we were talking a little bit on what would it take for him to come to Lads and construction. Okay. And never could quite find that fit. And I just remember kind of waking up one day and says, you know, let's just call Brian and see if he wants to start a roofing company. Yeah. He's doing that now. And ultimately it was, well, you know, we need capital for it. I said, mm-hmm. look, we got the capital. Let's let's get it rolling. Yeah. And so, you know, I came to the table with the capital and Brian just came to the table with sweat equity and worked his ass off. That, so you're looking for someone that really has the drive, has the yeah. experience, just as new to it, yeah. might not have the capital. And, and you know, people talk about core values, and, and I think core values and culture is a really buzzword that gets overused in the right. industry. I, you you got to click together. you got mm-hmm. to have the same outlook and the vision. And, and we knew we wanted to build that company to $20, $30 million quick. And so, you know, that company, we started in the midst of COVID. I think when COVID hit, I don't know, it was called February, April. It was that July is when we started it, <laughs> you know, right in the midst of it. People thought we were yeah. crazy, you know, and I think this year they'll, they'll do over 5 million this year, wow. which is, it'll be, they'll be, I think it's three years, maybe two and a half years now or two years is what they'll be. That's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so the company's doing really well and, you know, I'm, I'm a spiritual guy. Brian's Brian, Brian's got a very spiritual heart is very, very grateful heart. And, you know, ultimately we can sit down and have the hard conversation together mm-hmm. and it's, it's no hard feelings whatsoever. It's business. And then as a matter of fact, him and his wife are going to the couples retreat with us. Oh, so, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just really, really connected, yep. had the same values, the same drive yeah. and just felt like it could mesh and work together. Well. Yep. hundred percent. That's awesome. Yeah. So I, on a different note, um, I want to talk a little bit about Ladson construction specifically. I'd like to talk about we we kind of got built up to the point earlier where you're you're starting it, you're going off on your own. Mm-hmm. What did that look like at first? Was it really just you, or were you going into that with any employees at first? Mm-hmm. So it was just me. So I was the only employee of Lads Construction for about the first year. Okay, wow. And it was uh, you know marketing, HR, IT. Mm-hmm. You, you, if you had to be done, you were the person wearing all the hats. I was yeah. the accountant. I didn't know shit about QuickBooks, <laughs> but I figured it out. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, for the first year, it was just me. And then I heard my first employee a year into it had my first office a year and a half into it. So that's kind of how it started. Okay. Yep. Uh, so. One thing we talked about earlier is how it could be very challenging to delegate. Um, on the same, kind of an adjacent note, actually, 
I feel like a big difficulty is knowing when to bring on a new employee. What are some of the signs that you saw that told you, okay, I've been doing this for a year on my own, wearing a lot of hats. I'm sure for a while you were thinking you'd like to have an extra employee. What told you that it was time to have a new employee? You can only do so much, right? There's only so many hours in a day. And when I started to notice things that I was dropping, things that I should be doing better, maybe the 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 more attention that client needed i know it was time to hire gotcha and i remember starting out and i can't remember what the number was let's say i had sixty thousand dollars to your name give or take let's just say that um i'm looking at an employee and i'm thinking well wow an employee's going to cost me eighty ninety thousand dollars a year after you know mileage and taxes and etc so I, I i knew that was going to be an issue um but it took it took a lot of praying it took a leap of faith and ultimately, I knew that's what I had to do. Yeah. You know, and you know, that's been two years since that first hire, and we've got close to 14 now. Wow. So so now it's when I see there's a need, I hire. And, mm-hmm. I, and I might be a little heavy on staffing, but there's needs for them. Right. And so all that does is that motivates me to go out and chase more work. So it's really important to understand your burn rate, your, your staffing, your insurances, because when I underestimated getting into the business, I underestimated everything that a business costs. Yeah. You know, now we own the building. It's property insurance. It's automobile yep. insurance. It's 401ks. Like there's all, all the this. little ownership tasks that yep. no one thinks about. No one thinks about. So it's just not your staff cost. That's, that's like putting your toes in the water. Mm-hmm. So. so once you kind of take that leap of faith, then you've realized, okay, I I could do this. I can manage someone. I can afford it. I can make it work. And what do like the next couple hires look like? Is it, is that first employee starting to manage those people or is it more like you're managing a team? So my first employee was a project superintendent. Okay. So in construction, you typically have a project superintendent and a project manager and the owner. And as you grow, you start to fill out these apartments. Uh, So the first hire was a project superintendent. Second hire was a project superintendent. And then I knew I was doing too much project management. Gotcha. Now, this was the hardest part for me because I had been on project management for years with mm-hmm. Turner and Gilbane. So you're so used to doing it. It was used to doing it. So I went through a really hard time mentally on how do I overcome the thought process of being a project manager? Mm-hmm. Because I'm doing everything. This goes back to your question on how do you delegate? Yeah. And ultimately... It was a very uncomfortable time for me to put trust in others into my company at a very young age with a young company and some people that I don't even know. Mm -hmm. So we we grew at a rate that was quicker than than some. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was it was a very hard time and a hard lesson that I had to go through because I didn't make a lot. I did not make a lot of right decisions. I made a lot of costly decisions, uh, decisions, but ultimately, you know, that's what kind of led us to where we are today. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you have to make some, some costly and some incorrect decisions before you make the, yeah. the cost effective and correct mm-hmm. decisions. You've got to yeah. learn what kind of yeah. game you're playing before you can play it. Right. Absolutely. And one, one thing I will say when it comes down to mentors and business coaches, they'll be the first one to tell you you're doing too much. You need help. You need to hire. That's and good. I'm telling you, when you get three or four people that tell you that, you might want to listen. Yeah. <laughs> you might want to listen to somebody because they've probably been around the block once or twice. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, when I mentor other businesses or contractors and they come to me, I say the first thing, you know, look, you need an estimator. Yeah. Well, I can't afford it. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to pay it. Yeah. Even though he wants $100,000 a year, what is he really making per week? 
you know, let's say it's 2000 bucks a week. You can't float 2000 bucks a week for the next three to four months while you win work. Mm -hmm. If you can't do that, then you're something's going on within the business. If I've learned anything over the last couple of years, the, the biggest competitor is the person that I see every morning in the mirror. It's myself. Oh, and, yeah. and if I can beat him every single day, then I'm on the right track. So that kind of segues really well into a question I was about to ask, which is, you know, you talked a lot about having to really examine your time and how it's being spent a lot. What are some of the questions that you ask yourself on a regular basis that allow you to get very critical with your time and how you're spending it yeah. and how you might want to change things? If, if I look at my, when I go home at the end of the day and if I look at my day and I say, was I productive or was I just busy? Yeah. That's, that's a hard question to ask yourself. And if my answer to myself is I was more busy than I was productive that day, I was working in the business and mm -hmm. not on next opportunities. I start thinking about payroll. I start thinking about the insurance. I start thinking about the you know four thousand dollar a month payment for the building, and I start thinking, what in the hell did I do today to help that situation? Yeah. And if I spent the day answering emails or cleaning my inboxes because I can't send out any more emails because I'm maxed out, that's mm -hmm. that's not what I should be doing. But if I realized that I did do that, and it didn't advance anyone else in this company, that's an issue. Gotcha. I really like that. So um, kind of switching gears here, um, thinking about the future, what are some of the things that you want to see in the next couple of years? Um, I mean, you've obviously gone through, gone through a remarkable amount of growth in the mm -hmm. last three, now fourth yep. year. What are some of the things that you want to see out of the company and are kind of working on right now yep. um, in the next year, next two years? So one of the big things that we did here recently, and actually it was just this week, we hired our first ever controller which is a higher level individual than, you know, than typical accountant. Like a financial controller? Yes. Yeah, okay. that, that, that was a big move for us, and it was always a goal. So, you know, over the next couple of years, I'd like to see us get to about $50 million. That's that's my goal over the next couple of years. Nice. You know, we are working, and I can't expose it right now, but we are working on, on, a, on a very large transaction right now uh, that could take us to about $60 million. Wow. Um, that's within, exciting. Within the next year. So that could happen in the very near future, and we're tracking toward that. That's awesome. Um, you know, we're, we're doing that not for the sake of myself, but opportunities for everyone in the company. And ultimately, we're going to be able to serve our clients on a statewide level rather than just local. That's awesome. Yeah. Right now, it's mostly local, kind of in the northeast it, Florida. It area. is. It is. You know, we um, based on, you know, going back to referrals and, and the clients, a lot of our clients are repeat clients. Mm -hmm. And if it's not repeat, it's within their circle. We've got work happening in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Fort Myers, Miramar, which is Miami. Uh, Miami-Dade, Jacksonville, we're looking at stuff, uh, north of Orlando. So, you know, we do go south, uh, mm -hmm. but it's not just for any client. Not at gotcha. This stage. So with that, um, expanding beyond the, the repeat business and the immediate networks, I would I would assume and guess that there's a lot of marketing efforts that yep. come with that. Yep. What, what are some of those marketing efforts starting to look yep. like? I'll, I'll say, I think, man, marketing is so important, but branding is too. And they're, they're two different things. Right. You know, I would say when it comes to the company and marketing, it's being really selective on the industries that you go after. Learn learn the individuals, learn the decision makers. And typically it's not the CEO of the company. A lot of people think the CEO is making the decisions. They're not making the everyday decisions. Mm -hmm. They're making a high-level corporate decisions for the health of the company and where the company is headed, so the trajectory. Right. Typically it's not the CEOs. If I wanted to pursue a new development in Lake Mary or, or Nogatee area here in Florida – I wouldn't be reaching out to see you. I'd be looking for a facilities manager or a construction manager, director of operations. Those are the people that I'm targeting, which is part of our marketing strategy. Interesting. So we've got to be really selective about who we target, how we target, how, how are we connecting the dots? 
And this is my strength is when we're identifying a, a new market and how do we market to that individual? Yeah. And breaking breaking eyes, you got to be very sensitive to with certain companies, and you just you got to learn about the company. You can't mm -hmm. just go in there full force and blow right. the doors open and say, "Hey, we're here." It's you, you can't do that. It's a major turnoff in the in the world of development and construction. You've got to you've got to gain their trust. You've got to have a high level of integrity and be very transparent in what you do with them. So, I mean, really just getting in there, like, feeling out the company, learning what they're all about, and approaching them in a way where they know that you're about the same things yeah. that they are. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do is when I find who that key person is, utilize your network for it. Yeah. I'm pursuing a new group as of this morning, and I won't say the name, but I knew someone who may have known someone in the group, and I gotcha. called the individual right off the bat. He arranged the introduction. That's perfect. And so when there's a level of credibility through a, an existing relationship with that person, that gives you a leg up. Absolutely. That yeah. that that gives you opportunity not just to break the ice, you just push right through it at that point. Yeah. If if you have a credibility that makes the introduction and gets you in that foot in the door, you're in. Yeah. That, I mean it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I want to touch a little deeper on um something you said that that had surprised me about it not being the CEO that you're reaching out mm -hmm. to. Was that something that you put together just through your experience in the industry before, or was that something you had to kind of learn by trial by fire? It, it was trial by fire, and and I'll retract a little bit of that because it, it does the size of the firm you're pursuing does does matter. Right. Okay. If if I wanted to pursue a Baptist hospital, I'm not going to the CEO. Mm -hmm. I'm going to a facility manager or construction manager or their division for procurement services. That's who I'm going through. Um, and at some point, we're going to be at that point to where I'm not the one reaching out. I'll have a director of operations who's pursuing that or a pre-construction manager, a business development manager. They're going to be the individual reaching out. And so it's important for them to establish these relationships with like individuals and like positions of what right. they're pursuing, not myself. It will be important for me to establish a relationship with the CEO, but we're not going to talk about next bit opportunities. Mm -hmm. Through relationships, it's, it's going to happen organically where they say, look, we're building a new hospital. Yeah, you know, I'd love for your team to connect with my team, or have John connect with Susie in the office. Yeah, you know, that's that's how that stuff happens. How do you foresee yourself finding that right person when that time comes? That that vice president of operations yep. or whatever that position ends up being for you? I always want to grow internally before I reach out externally. I like that. And if I don't have the right person internally, we're going to utilize the network we have internally. Gotcha. And what what I have learned, and we have tried recruiters, we have tried them time and time, time again, it has never worked out for us. Really? Never. And recruiters are expensive. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They're $20,000, $25,000 a pop mm -hmm. for the employee. And you got to make that decision if the employee works within the first 60, 90 days. If not, you're out. Right. So every employee we've had through a recruiter has not worked for us. What has worked is when we utilize the current staff that we have, mm -hmm. we hire them for a reason. We hire them because they they fit the mold. We hire them because they have a great outlook. If they typically recommend someone, that person is the person we're going after, and that person lasts. Gotcha. What, I, what I'm not a fan of, I, I don't like recruiting competitor or people with, for our competitors. I got gotcha. a lot of respect for our competitors. Mm -hmm. um, some people, people do it to us every day, and that's, that's their choice. Yeah. I don't. I don't have that type of, of heart or, or I would say I don't have that dignity to reach out to my competitor and hire the yeah. project manager. I'm not going to do it. Um, I build friendships and partnerships with our competitors and I want to keep it that way. And I want to be, I want to remain authentic in what we do. So if that means reaching out to someone through a network in Orlando or Miami or paying to relocate someone, that's what I'll do. Okay. I like that. Yeah. And I like, uh, I feel like there's, 
something kind of in between the lines there that got skipped over and that you don't go after people with a with a competitor because if you do go after someone um, that's with a competitor and they come to you, you're always going to kind of know in the back of your mind that for that person, it's it's not really about growing in a company yeah. and expanding. It's about what's the next best opportunity yeah. out there. Yeah. And it is. you're not going to necessarily be able to know that that person wants to stick with you. Yeah, and it's, it's tough, right? Because, I mean, we're all chasing opportunities. And there's so many opportunities that I want to chase when I know my – you know, when I say competitors, we're, we're all we're all friends in the area, and sometimes I won't even compete because there's certain individuals on there, and I I want to that friendship to me is more important than a job. I like that abundance mentality. Abundance, and mm-hmm. that's that's what just gave me chills. That's that's why I want to live my life. That's how I want to run my business, and I don't I don't want to jeopardize a a friendship. Walk into a room and it's awkward. I don't want to jeopardize that just for a project that's worth a a, a few hundred thousand dollars. That's a fantastic outlook to have. So we've kind of caught up to where you're at now, where you're looking forward. I would like to ask kind of just a general question here. For someone starting out in the general contracting industry, what are maybe a couple of the the huge things that you wish you would have done a little bit differently getting into the space? Um, and how would you instruct someone to do those things differently Good if question. you could look back? I would say get get a mentor as soon as you can. Get someone who has done it and listen to them. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't take it with a grain of salt. Like truly listen and embrace what a mentor has to say. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm so thankful for the people that I get to work with that listen to that. And I've been able to, to see them add millions of dollars to not their bottom line, but more or less their revenue bottom line. And when you truly listen to someone who has done it, you're you're typically on that right path. Yeah. I wish I would have picked up books a bit more. I wish I would have did more reading. I wish I would have had a, tire, a tighter group. So you've got your circle, your community, and your corner. I wish I would have went through my community sooner and got rid of people. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have done anything with my circle. And sometimes getting rid of the hardest person, like I got rid of my father, you know, a few years ago. It was a life-changing experience for me, and it, it elevated my entire outlook on life, which ultimately created the atmosphere that we have here in the office. So you have to get rid of dead weight early. Make the hard decisions. Yeah. And sometimes your family is the, the first ones to be, I would say, a, a bad taste. Yeah, and that's got to be a hard thing to come to grasps with because, I mean, they're your family, but yeah. not it, it shouldn't be there at the expense of your own health yeah. and your own growth, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, t- you gotta have boundaries. You know, I and and they won't say it, but I know when we started out, you know, they I knew they they believed in me, but I didn't they really know what I was capable of. Gotcha. So it wasn't until my coach unleashed the potential in me, and then my family was like, "Oh shit!" Like yeah. he's, he's he's taking this thing pretty seriously. He can keep going with this. Like sky's the limit at this point. But they, your family may say they believe in you, and and they do to a certain point. I want I don't want to you know you know get not not get that any credit i just think the outside looking in the mentors truly know what you're capable of absolutely than just saying you know johnny's my son and johnny's gonna do a great job and be you know successful one day all mothers will say that yeah so uh, i would I, w- I would get a mentor so i really like the note about getting a mentor and um i feel like that's a common thread through a lot of people i've talked to that have been very successful is that they've found mentors very early yeah. on on the flip side of that, you um, you've touched a little bit on the fact that it sounds like you have some mentees as well, yeah. some people that you yeah. mentor yourself. I'd like to ask, maybe what what kind of value do you see yourself getting from that? 
because that I feel like that question is not asked well yeah. or commonly enough, yeah. but I feel like there's a lot of value in that yeah. as well. They, they ask us a lot of hard questions. It's a lot of hard questions which force me to, to be better and do better. And it forces me to be a better person here in the office for my team. So, so even though I've got the, let's call them the mentees and the other contractors and trade contractors and vendors that I mentor, it forces me to be a better person here in the office because now I'm, I'm managing and delegating, you know, assignments and questions to my mentees. And now I do the same thing here and I'm holding my team at a higher level of accountability. I really like that. Yeah. I'm going to steal a question here from, uh, I'm not sure if you ever heard the show, uh, how I built this with Guy Raz. Mm -hmm. It's a favorite show of mine, but I'm going to steal a question that he uses that I like a lot. How much of, what you've done with, with your career and your company so far, do you attribute to luck and how much do you attribute to the hard work that you've done? Ooh, that's a tough one. You know, I, I think, I think there's luck in everything. Yeah. I, I think, I think there's luck in, you know, me just get me having the ability to do what I do. I think I was lucky to have that. I wasn't born with it. I, I learned it every time, but I was lucky to learn it. You know, I think I think if I were to walk into a room in an organization and uh, pass by someone I've been waiting to get in contact with, that's luck. Yeah, you know, absolutely. that's just that's not a skill set. You just you're there. You buy the ticket. You're you're at a gala and you pass. You know, you brush shoulders. That's luck. Mm -hmm. So I I think there is luck in there, but I'm gonna tell you this. I mean, luck. What is not luck is working from six a.m. to nine p.m. Yeah. What is not luck is sacrificing my daughter's soccer practice. What what is what is not luck is buying a, a building, you know, just under a million dollars that took nothing but sweat, hard earned time and just weekends and nights to get. Mm -hmm. That's that skill and that's a lot of hard work. Yep. I think that's a great answer. Anything else in particular that we haven't touched on yet that you'd like to get into? No, no. I mean, this this has been great. You asked a lot of a lot of good questions. Absolutely. I always always love talking about the experience, and you know, I never I never look at myself as being successful. I, I don't look at this as a thirty million dollar company. I just I I don't. Um, well, that's interesting because I feel like that's always going to keep you on your toes if you it, don't feel like you're successful yet. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it, it's very important for me to be to stay humble mm -hmm. and, and, and fierce in, in what I do, and. My my biggest fear in, in life is, you know, my daughter look up to me and say, well, you know, daddy never gave it his all or, you know, daddy could have done so much more. Why, why did daddy stop at 20 million? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be asked that question when she's 14. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I want to lead the legacy and I want her to be able to go to high school and say, you know, look, <laughs> my dad's got a $500 million company. My mm -hmm. dad's doing $100 million. That's like my ultimate dream is for, for her and my wife to look back and say, wow, he truly did give it his all. Here's another question um, on the note of family. Um, I grew up in, uh, so my dad has his own company for about 20, 21 years. So I grew up kind of in that entrepreneurial, your parent has their own business kind of um, environment. Do you foresee kind of having your daughter work in the company in any capacity at any point? I know it's probably I, early to ask. I, I get that, asked that a lot. Yeah. So I'll say this. According to the IRS, she works for the company. Yeah. Right? She, she is an employee. Mm -hmm. So um, she already is an employee. If you're listening, IRS. She is. She is. She, <laughs> she, she, she is our, uh, she's our mental uh, relaxer here in the office. Nice. Uh, but yes, I, I do see that. Um, I always had a dream of, of my daughter coming in after, after school and doing cool. some admin work and really just let, let her know what it's truly like to work. 
Yeah. Um, even though, you know, daddy's, you know, daddy and mama has, has some money. She, she's not going to be treated as such. You know, she is much, she is a daddy's girl. I will obviously <laughs> do as much as I can for her. But um, she, she's not going to be raised as, as spoiled. She's not going to be raised mm-hmm. as give, 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 give. Uh, that's not what we're going to do, but she will work for the company at some point. You want to instill that work ethic okay. early and often. Yeah, if, like if she wants to. I never want to be the person to force. Um, but I, I want to create the, the welcome atmosphere of through, through abundance to where she wants to be associated. I love that. Well, on that note, I, this has been fantastic, yeah. Jesse. Thank you so yeah, much for it. having this talk with me. I feel like I learned a lot, honestly. Good. Um, any other quick takeaways? No, no. You know, I think if anyone's looking to do this and they think time is not right, it's it, time is never right. I love that. Just get out and do it. Get off and do it. Yep. All right. Well, thank you for being here. This has been Profession Session with Brody Vincent. My guest has been Jesse Ladson of Ladson Construction and many other ventures. And (laughs) um, thank you again for being here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Signing off. Thanks for watching Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, or TikTok at Profession Session on all channels. You can also find my guest from this episode at the tag and details of this post. Stay tuned for new episodes and short little clips of deep dives into specific topics across all of our channels. If you know a young standout professional business owner or entrepreneur with a unique or interesting story, DM us anywhere and let us know, and they may be the next tell it here on Profession Session. Until next time, stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking. This has been Profession Session.